Welcome to another message from LifePoint Church, located at 400 South Abilene in Valley Center, Kansas. For more information on LifePoint Church, go to our website at lpcag.org. It is our prayer to invest in generations to influence community. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Steve Rains. All right, who got your Bibles out already? You ready? Let's go. Um, but uh, how awesome is it, you know, um, to think that a week ago Wednesday, um, or excuse me, a week ago Sunday, but then on Wednesday as well, that there that many students, I mean, over 50 students on Wednesday nights and 50 kids down the hallways and just on a Sunday morning. I mean, that's pretty awesome. There you go. Come on now. Right? I mean... Uh, it, that's pretty exciting, and, and then obviously just what the Lord is doing is He's bringing people to LifePoint Church from all walks of life, and, and all of us account for that, and all of us make up that, uh, th- those things happening, and so we're so grateful for that, and just looking forward to the future, and uh, how many know as long as we stay in step with God, it's going to be good? Amen? Amen? And it's going to be healthy, and it's going to be life-giving. And, and uh, so we just want to continue on that, that uh, path um, with humility and with desperation and uh, with uh, anticipation of what God's going to do. So uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about that stuff next uh, Sunday with the annual business meeting. I encourage you to stick around. I believe in short business meetings. Right. And um, I believe in good business meetings and it's not to rush it and not, it's not to to, um, uh, you know, like overlook things. But but, you know, I, I appreciate y'all's time and your your willingness to invest time. And so I want to be good stewards of that. And so we try to maximize our time together and, and uh, uh, navigate through the business of our church. And we have a lot to celebrate this past year. It's absolutely amazing. As I was writing r- my report for it, I was just like, God, you are just like so, so awesome, right? And so good. And so it's going to be a, a great time. But before that, we step into today's message and uh, with um, anticipation. And, uh, and we're in this new series, uh, Unashamed, from the book of Romans. And we've been diving in, and we're really in a mini-series right now, as we just started this series from Romans. And we're on this mini-series dealing with the wrath of God. And I don't know about you, but when I think about that subject, I can't help, forgive me, please forgive me, don't judge me, but, but I, I can't help but think of the veggie tales, we are the grapes of wrath. <laughs> it just goes to my mind real quick, and I'm like, well, that's not quite accurate. But, but anyway, we're in this really a mini-series dealing with this subject, and, and in week one, Pastor uh, Levi uh, talked on, on, on this mi- week one of the mini-series, if you will, of God's wrath only wants to kill that which is killing us. How many know sin destroys, right? And so God wants to deal with that. Week two, last week, we talked about the standard of righteousness isn't set by us, but it's set by God. And that it's perfect and it's without error. And our tendency is to minimize the wrath of God or we want to ignore the wrath of God or there are those that paint a vengeful God that pretty much hates everything. Even Andy's frozen custard. Right. I mean, just like I mean, 
when I think about that, I can't help but think about Sunday mornings when we uh, lived in, in Topeka, Kansas, and, and there out on the corner in front of our church would be our friends from Westboro Baptist picketing our church with like the wrath of God posters. And it's just like, you know, do we go out there and talk to them or do, what do we do? Do we take them some coffee and a donut, you know? Um, and because and, and, it's that image of this God that is just like ready to just smite you. But let's be honest. When was the last time, other than the, the past two weeks, that you sat in church or you listened to a podcast or you read a book on this, sub, on this subject that we've been unpacking. I mean, you see it in the Old Testament, you see it in the New Testament, but often, you know, it may be a subject that, ah, it's not too fun to preach. I mean, I'll be honest with you, true confessions from your pastor, the last couple of weeks in preparation, I'm just like, can we, like, move, you know? Because it's heavy, it's intense. But that's one of the beauties of expository preaching is that it forces you to step into a passage of Scripture and, and let it speak to us. And the misunderstanding of the wrath of God often, that often happens because we equate it to human character. We like to talk and we, we like to think about love. Um... I mean, there's not too many, last time I, last time I went to Hobby Lobby, there, there's not too many signs within Hobby Lobby that deal with the subject of wrath. You know, I mean, there's signs, welcome to our home, dream big, love always, forgive quick, laugh, love, live, all those things. Maybe the most wrathful sign that you would find in Hobby Lobby would be this, if you sprinkle when you tinkle, be a sweetie and wipe the seedy. Because if you don't, wrath's coming, right? How important is this topic, though? I want to submit to you that it exists even within the most well-known Bible verse to humanity. John 3.16. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, perish, but have eternal life. We have to understand this, but also we have to help others understand it as well. And as you look at this portion of Scripture that we're in in Romans, uh, beginning in, in chapter 118 through into chapter 3, Paul is really talking about four groups of people. We've looked at two of them. We looked at the, the depraved Gentile society that he really opens up with, and it's the party crowd. They have no concern about God. They have no reverence for God. Then last week we looked at the moralist, and the moralist is the, the one who is, their confidence is, is in being a good person, being an upright person, they're, that they're banking on that, and that they're better than others. And then there's today's subject of the self-confident religious person. We'll look at that person in verses chapter 2, verse 17 through chapter 3, verse 8. But before we go, let's just pray. Father, in the next few moments as we look at your word, we are bridging into a challenging passage, a difficult passage of Scripture, difficult in many ways because of cultural context, but also because of just um, understanding of it. 
And so, Lord, we ask for your help. I pray, Lord, our minds would be alert. Um, I pray, God, that we would find ourselves engaging uh, the text in, in practical, applicable ways to our life. And, God, that it would stick with us. I pray, Holy Spirit, help the Scripture stick today. And uh, may we find ourselves applying it and, and allowing your Spirit to search us, that our hearts would be rendered in, in, uh, in right before you, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul is going to speak to an issue within Judaism, okay? And we have to understand the principles that he is speaking to, and we're going to unpack those, touch all of us regardless of our heritage. Especially if you are a religious person. Steve, I don't classify myself as a religious person. All right? Um, Because it's all about relationship, we'll say, right? As you read Romans and Paul's response here, remember, this is coming... Remember, all right, this is coming from a pen of a fellow Jew, all right? So this isn't a guy that's writing this that has an angst against a, a, a population group or an, an ethnic group of people. This is a fellow Jew writing to fellow Jews. This isn't an outsider or someone unfamiliar with their customs. One uh, One author said this, Paul's purpose was not to bash his fellow Jews or to suggest that their unique privilege as God's chosen people was was bad, but to help his Jewish readers understand that their religion did nothing to transform them. Behaving correctly on the outside will do nothing to cleanse the inside. That's a definition of religion, after all. Doing external things to make the inner inner person worthy of salvation. This disparity between inner and outer righteousness inevitably leads to hypocrisy, end of quote. And so the big idea of our passage today is, you could really summarize it this way. What does it mean to be a Christian? And we have to understand, too, when we use the term religion, how many know religion, that's not a bad word. I mean, James said this, right, in, in, in his writing, in his epistle, uh, perfect religion is this, the religion that looks after the orphan and the widow, right? So it's not, it's not a bad word. To say that you're religious is not a, a bad thing, but that's a sidebar. Anyway, let's look at Romans 2, and let's see the damage of what religious ritual can do. Verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew, you may not call yourself, you may not be, not, I mean, to my knowledge, there, there isn't any of us in this room that would be able to say that of ourselves, but if you call your relig- yourself a religious person or a spiritual person and rely on the law and boast in God, verse 18, and know his will and approve what is excellent. In other words, you have a confidence to knowing what makes God happy, what pleases God. Because you are instructed from the law, And if you are sure that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, in other words, that you're confident in your knowledge and ability to direct people to the light, verse 20, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law an embodiment of knowledge and truth. So Paul is saying this. He's saying, if that is your mindset, we need to talk because the wrath of God is coming. Imagine, if you will, this letter being read in an early Christian context. 
and the closeness of the Jewish heritage to the early church. I mean, we're sitting 2,000 years removed in the United States of America, but so let's try to bring ourselves into that living room. As Paul, as they're reading this, my guess is there's those in the audience going, mm, mm-mm, Pastor Paul, mm. There's others that are, are putting out the fire emoji. Hashtag called, hashtag twinkle twinkle, hashtag very special. The Jews are praising each other because of their obedience to the law. But the important thing is that the praise of God, and not, it's not about the praise of, of man, it's about the praise of God. And, and you're going to see this thing that they're getting that confused. And guess what Paul does again? Just like he did in chapter, the beginning part of chapter 2 with the moralists, he does it here and he flips it. Why does he do that? He does it because our confidence isn't in ourselves. It needs to be fully in God. So look at it, verse 21. You then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself while you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. So there's five rhetorical questions here that Paul asks, and he brings an indictment against a brand of religious ritualism by pointing out the hypocrisy of it. And when we cloak ourselves in, in ritual, and, and that becomes our hope, Paul says, if that's who you are, you better check your life. Because whenever someone relies on ritual, hypocrisy isn't far behind. That's the warning from the text. And here's, here's the deal about the human heart. All right, I think all of us uh, um, have seen this happen in our life, or maybe you know somebody that this happened to. The, the reality of the human heart is it always tries to come up with new ways to measure up and enable ourselves to measure up against God's standards. John Calvin, the great reformer, said it this way, the human heart is an idle factory. We are always trying to create new ways to try to measure up to God's standards. It plays out like this. Religious ritual wants to get out in front of Jesus. And, and, and it can play out in a number of different ways, but, I mean, if you've been out and about, perhaps, maybe in conversation, I know I have um, just in different uh, contexts, Ask somebody, hey, are you a Christian? And their response is not, yes, I'm a Christian. Their response may be, well, I'm, I'm Assembly of God. Or I'm Baptist. Or I'm Methodist. Or I'm, I'm Lutheran. Or whatever the flavor may be. Or are you a Christian? And the response is not, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. The response is, man, I was baptized. I was sprinkled. I was dunked. I was double dunked. I double stack my communion wafer. 
So that's this ritual, this brand that can be confused with a life-giving, living relationship with God. And Paul is like, I'm not asking you that. I'm not asking you if, if you were baptized. I'm not asking you if you took communion, which we should do all those things. I'm not asking you if you're a Baptist or AG or, or whatever. I'm asking you, do you know Jesus? Have you been transformed by Jesus? Are you being transformed by Jesus? Because all of us need to experience ongoing transformation with Jesus. Amen? It's not one and done. Is it your ambition to know him and to make him known? So what's the big deal about religious hypocrisy? Let's unpack it this morning. First thought, religious hypocrisy brings God's wrath because it discredits God's name. Look at it, verse 24. For as it is written, the name of God is blaspheming among the Gentiles because of you. I mean, wow, what a statement. What's going on here? What's going on is that sometimes if we're not careful, what people can do is, is that we can flip or they can flip the script and put rituals, baptism, sacrament, um, attendance, membership, whatever, our efforts our giving, our, our mowing our neighbor's yard, or, or whatever it may be, before relationship with the living God. And when we do that, that becomes a problem. And it plays out in a number of different ways. But here's the issue. What we do needs to follow out of relationship. It isn't that I do this and my relationship with God follows. It's that God is leading me in, a, in, in the outflow, and because of that, that's the outflow. It's life-giving that way. If we work from the other direction, if we work from ritual, then it becomes heavy, it becomes burdensome, and we begin to think this, God, you owe me. See what I've done? I've done this, this, and this. And I can't, when I think about that statement, I can't help but think of Luke chapter 15 and the story of the prodigal son, and I can't help but think about the oldest son because that was his heart. What is the good news of the gospel? The only way to the Father is through whom? Jesus. The gospel isn't anything other than that or it shouldn't be anything other than that. The way to the Father is through Christ. It's not through our works. It's to the Father, through the Son, period. And depending on rituals, we'll discredit God's name because, his because in His name there's salvation. In His name it's Redeemer. He's Restorer. He's, he's Righteous. He's our Rescuer, right? So let's keep going. Um, religious hypocrisy brings God's wrath because it disregards God's recognition. And I realize I was trying to think of a, of a way to simplify some of these statements, but, but it just wasn't coming. This is a pretty intense text to, to, um, to, to unpack for us this morning. So sorry for the long points, but it is what it is. Verse 25, for circumcision indeed is a value if you obey the law. 
But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code in circumcision but break the law. All right, let's break this down because I realize even as I read that, some of you are going to say, what? How many of you are going to say, what? <laughs> How many of you are going to I think I'll go down to Pastor Nathaniel and have him unpack some scripture this morning, right? What Paul is doing is, is hitting home how you have a relationship with God. How we can have a relationship with God. So, for, for the Jew, circumcision is a, a covenant sign with God, okay? Just to, to back up into the Old Testament. It began with Abraham in God's relationship with Abraham, starting in Genesis chapter 12. So the first book of the Bible, you see this subject beginning to unfold. And God said, listen, I'm, I'm making a covenant with, with you. You see that happening in Genesis chapter 17. And the sign of the covenant will be circumcision. And Abraham said, I am so glad, I can't wait. That was a joke. God said, you will be my chosen people, okay? So my question for you this morning is, did God accept Abraham by his merit, by, in other words, by his work, or by his faith? He was accepted, listen, he was accepted in Genesis 15. Circumcision didn't happen into Genesis 17, so scholars would say that's about 14 years. Circumcision had become an important badge to the Jew, right? It was about God having access to parts of, of their life. And it was a sign of submission, but the, but the Jews Paul uh, is writing to had made it a sign of superiority. So, in other words, I'm better than you. We're better than this, this segment of the population. And the sign of the covenant got in front of the covenant. So the principle, the thought for you and I is don't let the, the, the things that make up Christianity get out in front of Jesus in your life. Cultural identity and heritage became the thing. You've heard me share it before. I mean, it, was, it, 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 it plays out this way in, in many of our lives. When years ago, before I came to Christ, I was a, a junior in high school when I came to Christ. I've said this before, um, so, but I'm using that as an illustration. Because there was heritage and, and, um, and uh, ritual taking place in my life in this. And it played out this way. If you would have asked me, Back then, if you were a Christian, I would have said, yes, I'm a Christian because I'm an American, that's my heritage, and we're, we're a, a Christian nation, or that was, that's what had been dubbed by some, right? I mean, that, that's our heritage as a nation, we're a Christian nation, um, and I have ritual because I go to church on Easter and Christmas, therefore, I'm a Christian. How many know? Standing before a holy, righteous, awesome God, 
If I would have got ran over or, or whatever, you know, and got, would have passed away, and I would have stood before God on, that merit, on those merits, how far would that have gotten me? I would have been in trouble, right? What happens if we go there? If our hearts aren't changed, in the context of what Paul is writing here, circumcision doesn't mean anything anymore. If we fall into the trap of leaning on rituals instead of leaning on Christ, we put up barriers that hinder not only our relationship with Christ, but I want to submit to you, hinder other people's relationship with Christ. We want people to know that they can have relationship with the living God, that God is able to transform lives, and it isn't because you dotted all the I's and crossed all the the T's. He is able to make closed doors open doors. And we just have to go through the door that can be, and I realize that can be tough, that can be difficult, that requires us to surrender, that requires us to be obedient. So let me illustrate it this way. Uh, If we elevate a symbol, if we elevate baptism, or if we elevate communion, or if we elevate membership, and we begin to put our hope in a symbol, we're in trouble. If I could just try to paint it this way, um, because I know, this, man, this is like a difficult passage of Scripture. Some scholars say this is like the most difficult passage of Scripture in the New Testament to try to dissect. So, man, we're doing great. But let me illustrate it this way, okay? On my finger, I have a ring, right? This ring is a symbol of marriage to my wife, right? It's a, it's a statement of our love to each other. It's a declaration of love, but it's not the source of love. When we get in an argument, I don't take off my ring and put it on the table. That would hurt. Um, When we need wisdom to get through a situation, I don't Ringy, ringy on my thingy. What do we do? If I were to lose this ring, my marriage wouldn't end. If Robin was to lose her ring, our marriage wouldn't end, but we would be going ring shopping right away for a bigger ring. That's my thoughts. No, that's not hers. <laughs> Shh. Suppose, if I try to make this ring more than it is, well, what do you mean? This is all hypothetical, okay? If I began to speak ill to Robin, if I began to say, Robin, you never, you know, Robin, my mom used to um, do this for my dad all the time. Why don't you start doing it for me? Robin, if I shake my glass just right, that means refill it. I need you to refill my glass. And I start treating the family bad. I start speaking ill to the boys and to, to Taylor and to our grandson and to our dog. And, and I already speak ill to the neighbor's cat, so that doesn't count. But, but, um, and one day, Robin just comes to the end and she finally breaks. And she says, man, I, I just... 
I can't take this any longer. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't made to receive this. Steve, you are just mean. You shame me. You speak down to me. You don't talk to me. You don't, you don't express love to me. You verbally abuse me. You, you are not a good husband. You look at other women. You don't love me as Christ loves the church. I'm leaving. Again, let me just preface this. This is all hypothetical. <laughs> all right, it's an illustration. Now, if that scenario played out, and if I would respond to her and say, huh, how dare you say that? I wear the ring. I have never taken the ring off. It's been on my finger so long, it's not even round anymore. It's oval. Sure, I did those things. Sure, I said those things, but I kept the ring on. What else do you want? Do you think Robin would go, Oh, you're right. My bad. Can I get you some tea, sweetie? Because how many know she doesn't want my ring? She wants my heart. Right? So too. Paul's point about circumcision. He's not saying you have elevated, he is saying you've elevated the symbol to a place that it's missing your heart. And it's about your heart. Verse 28 says this, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is not, it's, excuse me, circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. You don't do these things. Today we didn't do communion. We, in, in a couple of weeks, if someone wants to get baptized, we don't, we don't do baptism to be seen as righteous. But you do them because God sees your heart and you're His and you want to walk in obedience and you want to bring Him pleasure and you want to do whatever you can to draw near to Him, not to, to earn His favor, not to earn a, a, um, a, a special position, but because you love Him and He loves you. This is about having a heart that says all in on your relationship with God. God doesn't want worship out of duty, which isn't worship. He wants worship out of desire. God, I just want to be in your presence. God, I'm a little bit distracted today or this morning little tired, but Lord, I don't want to waste this moment. I want to, I want to just be in your presence. God stands in opposition to any of us trying to earn our salvation through anything other than the cross of Christ and what Jesus did for us. Religious ritual makes it about what people see. Relationship is, with God is about what God sees, and God sees the heart. 
So Paul is, is backing the religious ritualists into the corner, right? You're not right with God because you've done the sacraments or because you give or because you've done your faithful in attendance. All those things are good. The Jews would have been sitting there as Paul is really deconstructing their confidence. And some of them would have been going, um, thinking about the practice of uh, circumcision, and they would be going, oh man, we have a problem. And Paul knows what their objections are going to be, and so he addresses them in chapter 3. Let's look at them real quick. Religious hypocrisy brings God's wrath because it degrades God's gospel. And each objection minimizes or degrades God's gospel. So the first objection that they would have brought is this undermines God's covenant. If that, if we don't do circumcision, it's going to undermine God's covenant, verse 1. Then what advantage has the Jew or what is the value of circumcision? Paul, if you're right, the Gentiles are going to judge the Jews and those outside the family, they, they haven't been circumcised, so they don't have the sign, Paul. Paul, what is the benefit if this stuff doesn't save? Why do it? Verse 2, much in every way, to begin with, the Jews are entrusted with the oracles of God. Verse 2 doesn't speak about spiritual security. I know what I am. I know that I'm right with God because I did this, this, this. Man, he says you've been entrusted. You, you get to partner with the God of the universe. And as you and I live out our, our, our day to day, and as we live out our day tomorrow, and as you step into your week, and, and as you sit down and you have time with the Lord, and as you meditate, and I mean, this morning driving into church, um, just heading in on Main Street and, and looking uh, east, and man, the, it was just like a beautiful sunrise. I, right before I got to the railroad tracks, usually I'm trying to like speed through them, but man, I, I shut it down and I put my car in park and I turned off my lights right out in the middle of Main Street. Looking down through between the railroad crossing and you see the flag of our country and you see the, the, the grain elevators there and the, the sky was this flaming orange, man, and I just stopped and I jumped out of my truck. I made sure nobody was behind me. I just got out my camera and I took a couple pictures and I just paused and thought, God, you are absolutely incredible. And I get to go worship you with my brothers and sisters in Christ this morning. Awesome. Right? That you've entrusted such a privilege. Objection to this nullifies God's faithfulness. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? Paul, I thought we're, uh, we were Jews. I mean, I thought we were the apple of God's eye. I thought that we had a special place. Paul, are you saying we're going to be judged like anyone else? If that happens, can God even be trusted then? Because the religious ritualists has this attitude of, what about all that I have done? Verse 4, by no means, Paul writes, let God be true in every man, uh, in every one. Let uh, God be true, though every one were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you 
are judged. This just speaks to the splendor and perfection of our God, right? And when it says prevail when, when you are judged, you here is, is speaking of God just for a point of clarity. But listen, we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I mean, when, when God judges, he's not going to mess up, right? He's not going to go, oh, acted too quick on that one. I didn't have all the evidence or I didn't have all, didn't have all the facts. That's not the case. He won't mess up. He won't judge wrong. As well, this just communicates to us all the more how just good, how, how awesome and good the gospel is. Verse 3 or verse 5, the next objection, this makes God unjust. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? He says, I speak in a human way. If I could simplify what they're saying, more or less the idea is this, all right? God, you need me to sin because my sin proves you're righteous. And so I'm doing you a favor and allowing you to demonstrate your righteousness. How about some grace? Do you understand where that thinking gets you? That, that's crazy thinking. People have that same reasoning when they say, listen, I am saved. I've been baptized. I, I, I go to church. And I'm just going to remain in this sin and, and be okay with that. Because what I do really doesn't matter. No, it matters. Verse 6, by no means, Paul writes, for then how could God judge the world? Listen, humanity's sin doesn't prove God is righteous. God functions outside of humanity. You know what sin does? All sin proves is our need for a Savior. How broken we are. How desperate we are. Every, t- man, this, every time you blow it. How many blew it this past week in some way? You're right? It d- d- feels good to get your hands up in, the, in a while, right? Just wave them, right? I mean... <laughs> Every time you blow it, not, in, not encouraging any of us to blow it, but every time we blow it, may it just remind us, oh man, I sure do need a Savior. I'm so glad I have one. Thank you, Jesus. Forgive me. And, in, and this heart of worship just is cultivated. Objection number four. This diminishes God's glory, verse 7. But if, you, if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, so in other words, when I sin, God gets glory because it allows his righteousness to work, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, and then he says this in verse 7, their condemnation is just. Our confidence isn't in us 
It's in Him. The worship team would come. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That God said, listen, I am providing the way for you to be able to come and be in my presence. Listen, I am providing the means for your sin to be forgiven. It's in my son. Listen, I, I want you to have, I want to have relationship with you, not only for today, but for all eternity. So, here's my son. It's not, here's baptism, here's communion, here's membership, here's attendance. Do all these things first, and then my son. No, it's my son. All those things are good. All those things we're going to do. But our hope isn't in those things. It's in Christ. And we stand before him and we step into a moment of worship, not on the merit of, well, I've done this, this, and this. We stand before him on the merit of, you are my beloved, you are, you are my adopted son and daughter because of what Christ did. Father God, this morning, difficult passage of scripture difficult to comprehend difficult to um, unpack and, and Lord I, I pray God that we as we sit here and we ponder and I'm sure some of us are going I'm I'm overwhelmed just trying to un think about all of that Holy Spirit bring clarity to our hearts bring clarity to our minds even throughout this afternoon may you whisper something to us just about a thought passage of scripture maybe this morning that, that spoke to our hearts about the subject of putting anything before you and God, may there just be a heart of humility, but a heart of holiness and awe and wonder. If you're here this morning and you've never received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you've never received the gift of salvation, free gift of salvation, only through that only comes through His Son. It doesn't come through merit. It doesn't come through ritual. It comes solely through Christ alone. And you're here this morning and you're like, man, Steve, I, I'm tracking with you and I see my need for a Savior. And I've, been, I've been putting my hope in the things that I've done. But I understand today my hope needs to be in Christ. 
And I want to begin relationship with Jesus this morning. On the 5th of March, 2023, that today would be a new beginning for me. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? If you're here this morning, go ahead. Steve, would you pray for me? I just want to begin relationship with Jesus. I want to know God in a way that I've never known him before. I'm so thankful this morning that I come to him not on my merits, but on what he's done. For the rest of us, then the application of this message is about aligning our heart and making sure that our heart is always aligned in the right place. And then I would say this, that the application is, it's not about performance, it's about position. That our confidence isn't in our performance, confidence is in our position and that happens because of what Christ did for us and so as we step into this song of worship may we respond appropriately because of that position and if you need prayer for anything today as we head to the conclusion of our service I'm going to ask some of the elders and your spouses to come up front and position yourself. And if you need prayer for anything this morning, prayer in your body because of sickness or you want to stand in the gap for somebody or you have another need, then I invite you and encourage you to come forward for prayer. But would you stand with me? The elders and your spouses would come. Father, as we respond to you during this time, God, we thank you that you want our heart. God, you want to transform our heart. You want our heart to beat in unison and to respond to you. God, you want a pure heart. Your word says in Joel to, to render our heart and not our garment. It's, it's about the interior of us and not the exterior of us that you, you want to you want to cleanse and renew and the interior will take care of exterior stuff. God, we love you and we want to respond to you now appropriately. In Jesus' name. If you need prayer for anything, please come and receive prayer. Let's worship the Lord. This concludes the teaching. Thank you for listening and we hope you can join us for next Sunday's service with Pastor Steve Raines.